This episode of Fearless Rebel Radio is brought to you by You On Fire. You On Fire is the amazing 12-week online group coaching program that I run where we build up your worth from the ground up so that it's no longer hinging on the way that you look. It's got personalized coaching from me and incredible community support plus lifetime access. Get details on what's included in this program and sign up to be notified when doors open for the next cycle by going to summerinandin.com forward slash you on fire. I would love to have you in that program and in that group. This is Fearless Rebel Radio, a podcast about body positivity, self-worth, anti-dieting, and feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 123, and I am interviewing Dr. Colleen Reichman about the problems with wellness and fitness culture, how they hurt our mental health, and how to heal an obsessive relationship with these things. You can find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode at summerinandin.com forward slash 123, because it's episode 123. That's cool. Before we begin, I want to give a shout out to Meme8, who left this amazing review. Summer's positivity and warmth is utterly contagious. Oh, thank you. Her message is important and she's stepping out to share the message with the world. This podcast is very relevant and presents important topics related to empowerment and body positivity. This podcast has helped me in my recovery journey and has helped fill my media with encouraging and cheerful podcasts. Thank you so much for that amazing review. If you haven't already done so, please take two minutes to leave a review for the show. It helps others to find everything that you're learning here and helps to keep the show alive and well. You can do that by heading to iTunes, searching for Fearless Rebel Radio, and then click Ratings and Reviews and click to leave a review or give it a rating. In addition to that, take a second to subscribe to the show via iTunes or whatever platform you use so that you never miss an episode. Lastly, you can get the free 10-day body confidence makeover at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. And you can always find everything at thebodyimagecoach.com if you can't spell my last name. Today's guest is Colleen Reichman. Dr. Colleen Reichman is a licensed clinical psychologist practicing in Williamsburg, Virginia. She works in her private practice wildflower therapy and is a staff psychologist at the College of William and Mary. She has recovered from an eating disorder and this experience sparked her passion for spreading knowledge and awareness that recovery is possible. She is an advocate for feminism, body liberation, fat acceptance and health at every size. She writes about body image and eating disorders for morelove.org, Project Heal, The Mighty, Recovery Warriors and more. We really blow up wellness and fitness culture here and talk about why we both think keto diet is the worst, which <laughs> is a conversation that needs to be had. All right. I think you're going to enjoy it. Check it out. Hi, Colleen. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to have you here today. I'm excited to talk about all the things I want to talk to you about. So I think it's going to be good. Me too. Yeah. So I'd love you to start out by telling everyone a little bit about your story and how you got to where you are today. Sure. So 
I struggled with an eating disorder. I struggled with anorexia throughout high school and college. And I was definitely a treatment resistant person. Um, I didn't, I was, you know, in a place for a really long time where I did not want to get better. Um, so when I finally uh, just started embracing recovery and uh, moving towards, you know, kind of past the eating disorder and finding a life without it, I, de- I did not want to look back. I definitely did not want to, I never saw myself where I am today, which is working with people who have eating disorders. Mm-hmm. I was kind of of the mindset, I knew I wanted to help people. So I wanted to go to graduate school for psychology, but I was of the mindset, like, I never want to look back. It was such an awful like decade and um, never talking about eating disorders again. <laughs> but somehow, um, I guess throughout graduate school, just working with college students and doing different internships, I just stumbled upon, I I eventually did work with somebody with an eating disorder and I realized almost immediately like, wow, this gives me a really great empathy chip for understanding an illness that is quite difficult to understand. And then from there, it just sort of took off. My passion for it took off. And um, I did my my internships and my fellowships at inpatient eating disorders units and just kind of sought out experiences to become specialized in the area. And now I am, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and I specialize in the treatment of eating disorders and body image. And so you're, you're an advocate of fat acceptance and health at every size and, and feminism. Like, you know, when did that come into your life? When, when, and how did that influence the way that you, I guess, either your recovery or how you worked with clients? Yeah, I didn't. It wasn't a part of my recovery process, I would say. I just hadn't heard of it. And none of my therapists, none of the, any of the teams that I worked with ever introduced health at every size or fat acceptance at all. Mm -hmm. And then when I was in graduate school and even maybe the first, uh, my pre-doctoral internship, which was about five years ago, there was no mention of that. There was no mention of any of my classes, any of those, the inpatient treatment centers. So it really started to come I found out about it through sort of online resources, um, like the Health at Every Size Facebook groups and uh, articles and almost social media mm-hmm. was what, what brought me into the, the space. And it just made so much sense. Uh, when I first read about it, when I got a hold of Linda Bacon's book, read all of it within like two days. And it just, it made so much sense. And it was kind of like the missing piece, like, oh, that was what was definitely missing in my recovery process. And that is what's missing in my work now. Like it never felt, it always felt like I wasn't, it wasn't full, the work that I was doing, or it wasn't um, genuine because I was kind of, you know, telling people you have to, you know, you have to recover, you have to start eating you know, what you want and giving up exercise if you don't want to do it in this culture that's obsessed with not eating what you want and exercising and doing all the exercise that you hate and everything. So it felt very ingenuine until I got the Health at Every Size book and just started reading more and more about it. And nice. I was like, oh, okay, here it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, do you find, you know, in your in your practice that a, a lot of other psychologists and, or therapists are are unaware of it, you know, as it relates to eating disorder recovery? Like, do you feel like you're sort of one of those rogue psychologists that's doing something really <laughs> radical? I do think that there are a lot of psychologists and especially, yeah, eating disorder psychologists who don't seem to embrace health at every size. I just actually did a 
presentation on this where I talked about here are all the different treatment techniques that we're using in this field that are incredibly fat phobic. Mm. For example, body drawing outlines. We This is a standard thing in treatment centers where we have people trace you know, on a big piece of paper what they think their body looks like and then lay in that tracing and have somebody else trace their real body. Yes. And the, the whole idea is so you hold that paper up and say, look how you actually aren't as big as you thought. Like, thank goodness, you know. Right. And and yeah, that's just, it's kind of stand. I do think health at every size is coming into the eating disorder community more, more so. I think it's getting definitely a lot more attention in the past, I would say two years or so. But I, I still feel like when talking about fat positivity and um, body liberation and health at every size in general, I do feel like I have a maybe these people think I sound a little bit more radical than I really am because I'm really just talking about what makes sense. It's just, it's what makes sense. But I have heard, I have been called radical and those types of things by other psychologists. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've heard, I've heard about people's experiences in, in eating disorder recovery where, you know, it, it actually fed their fear of, of weight gain or, you know, fat phobia. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's great and refreshing to see someone like yourself that's trying to change that for other psychologists as well. So teaching them, like you said, in the in the lecture that you just did. Yeah, it's definitely it's um, an uphill battle. We're still seeing online profiles for therapists that say things like I treat obesity and eating disorders. And it's like obesity is not a thing. And how could you be possibly treating these people who are fearing something else that you're treating then as a disease. It makes no sense. Yeah. So we need to be talking about it more and just, yeah, definitely getting the word out. So yeah, there's a lot of work to be done around it for sure. Right. So I want to talk to you about wellness and fitness culture, because I know that you're really fired up about those, those two things, or I guess they're what kind of one in the same. But, um, you know, you wrote this, you wrote a blog post, and and I think the first sentence or very near the beginning, one of the sentences is wellness, a term that I have come to despise. (laughs) So can you talk about that? Why? Why do you despise it so much? Um, I just feel like it's a term that's like dripping with um, judgment, basically, at this point. Um, And it's wellness culture in general is just so problematic because I think that it um, it's really it's uh, sort of cloaked fat phobia and it's cloaked uh, orthorexia. And so, and it's just, there's a, there's so many problems with it and so much morality that wellness culture ends up linking with food, uh, just the clean eating movement. And I just get, at this point, I just get angry when I hear the term because it's, it's kind of like, well, what do you really mean when you say wellness? Do you, you mean thin, right? Mm-hmm. Or you mean, you know, not eating pretty much every food that, that tastes good, right? That's what you mean when you say wellness. So I just think it's, it's sneaky it's the new diet. It's the new fad diet. And I hate it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is like, like, what is wellness in, in your in, in when you def- try to define it for yourself? Or, you're, do you, or do you just want to remove that word from <laughs> your vocabulary completely? I mean, it's if we're talking about just, you know, taking care of ourselves and listening to our body's, you know, natural wisdom and everything like that. If that's what people truly meant by wellness, I'd be all for it. But I think that 
Currently, what we mean by wellness is just this culture of health is the pinnacle of everything that you should be, you know, all your all the time in your day should be devoted to um, bettering your health. And, and by that, we mean losing weight, essentially, and that, um, you know, you have to go on paleo diets and be in ketosis and do workouts for two hours a day that you really hate and that um, it's just and. Also, food is, it's a really black and white thing. You know, there's really terrible food. There's very clean, pure food. And I think that if that's what we're meaning by wellness, we're really, we've lost essentially what it, what it meant to begin with. And that is what I think most people mean when they say it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why do you think, do you feel like we're becoming more obsessed with it as a culture? And and why do you think that is? Yeah, I definitely think, yeah, we're becoming more obsessed every day, it seems like. And I personally, when I stop to think about it, it seems like it stems from, I mean, I think the idea of wellness and putting all of your energy into making sure your body is at the pinnacle of health and you're doing everything. I think it just stems from this, maybe a, a desire to have control Um, which we human beings love. We are always looking for things to control. And I think that um, controlling our health and doing these really black and white steps, it makes people feel like calm for a second when they do them. And, you know, like, okay, well, I'm doing something right. In a world that's completely uncontrollable and chaotic, um, I'm not eating sugar. So Mm. I'm, you know, I'm warding off death and illness and all these other things. And so I think it's very enticing. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's just, it's so, it's so provocative for us, that idea of we can control our health and, and sort of, you know, run away from death, basically. Yeah, I remember reading, oh, the name, the name of the book is going to escape me now. It's on my recommended book list that I give to people. But uh, anyways, it's written by this guy that just kind of like blows up the self help world and and shows, you know, the problems with with self help. But one of the things he talks about is, is, is how, you know, we're just trying to control everything, because we're actually more afraid of uncertainty than we are of death. Like that's, that's been studied. I don't know if you know that, or if that's like, I don't know what he was referencing when he said that I can't remember, but that we're just so like that idea of uncertainty or like not having control. We're more scared of that than actually dying. Yeah, I don't know the studies that the author is referring to, but I can totally believe that. I think it makes sense given um, just, yeah, I think human behavior, we just, we despise uncertainty. We just are not great at handling it and sitting in like the gray area and all of that stuff. So I, we love anything that says like, well, this will give you certain, this is definitely going to help. Like this is the right path, you know? Yeah. And the problem with that is like you, it's such a false sense of control because so often what happens is, 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 you know, people stick to these things for, you know, like a month or you know, in my case, like three days. And then, and then you, you know, quote, unquote, lose all control. So you think you're the problem. Yeah. And then it kind of um, spirals into then you have shame that you weren't able to kind of live up to this and that you lost control. And um, if you take the rhetoric from the clean eating movement, now you're dirty because you're, you know, you're not eating clean, you're eating the dirty food. And it's just I think it's it's brilliant from the diet industry perspective because it is the new 
wellness industry is the new diet industry mm-hmm. essentially and it's a brilliant marketing tactic i think to to market things that we we definitely are meant to fail like we're meant to fail these diets that are super super restrictive and these fitness regimens that we all hate um and then but we blame ourselves and then feel like we yeah we're to blame and go into the shame spirals and then go back to try again because it's like well you know it is the path to certainty it is the way to feel better like everybody's saying it so i have to try again it's just yeah brilliant. well and the online you know the online component of it too really fuels that because you see the people who promote the you know the plans or um you know you go to forums where everyone's talking about it or podcasts where everybody's talking about it and it seems like everyone is just able to do it without having any of the you know uh, reactive eating or, you know, like binge response because, you know, they only seem to share those stories or they kind of give, you know, this glimpse into their lives like they're always eating that way and like everything is perfect. And it just makes us feel like our, you know, our willpower or like we're the problem because we can't keep up with it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think online, just social media and the online component makes it the perfect storm, honestly, because there are, yeah, there are so many communities and there are so many people that if you look at, for example, Instagram, the wellness Instagrammers, they're also, you know, they're all thin, they're all conventionally attractive. Um, and they all, you know, talk about eating in these in pretty black and white terms and make it look easy. You know, they'll post pictures like in yoga outfits and sponsored ads with green juices. And, and it's so enticing. Yeah. Because, like I could be like that. It, basically, they are saying you could be like me. You just have to eat this. And it's one snapshot in time of their life. One probably really posed <laughs> snapshot in time of, of their life. And um, but we see it and we don't um, sort of unpack it like that for ourselves. We just think, oh my God, you know, she has everything and I could too, if I just do that. Yeah. I feel like things just keep getting more extreme and restrictive too. So that's, that's what I've noticed, you know, like a couple years ago, or maybe more than that, actually, it was probably around 10 years ago, paleo was kind of new to the scene. And that was like the really big thing. And now it's become even more restrictive, because it shifted towards like the keto diet, which is, you know, like, let's take away more food groups. (laughs) And um, I sort of wonder and fear what's next. Like, do you feel like things just keep getting more restrictive and extreme? Yes. And I, yeah, I feel like it keeps moving towards anything that we humans like really enjoy, anything that most of us like sugar, for example, or carbohydrates, anything that you, and by the way, need to survive any of those things. We're just shifting towards like cutting them out one by one, mm-hmm. like all of these incredibly important macronutrients and especially the ones that really taste good. It's like, those are sort of essentially every year a new one gets thrown out and then that's the big craze like what is gonna what is it I mean what is it gonna stop I I know I sort of wonder if it's just gonna be like okay you can just breathe air (laughs) and like but this bottled air that we've got from the mountains and the Alps (laughs) you know like not (laughs) not that dirty air that you that you breathe right now Super pure Alp air. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, you, you've worked with a lot of people who have orthorexia. I mean, where is the line? Like, where does it go from, okay, this is, you know, something that I'm like dabbling with to something that like is become an actual disorder, like an actual problem. 
Yeah, I think it's a tough line to draw on the sand. I do think it's very blurry. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that not everybody who participates in wellness culture and who goes on the ketosis diet or whatever, for whatever reason, is going to go on to develop orthorexia because you definitely have to have the genetic underpinnings and the psychological makeup and all of that. But for those who do, I think the line you can tell when, I mean, essentially it's, is this getting in the way of my life and my happiness you know, over and over, like Mm. regularly, is this becoming something that, um, is taking from my life rather than giving to it? Like, am I missing socialization? Am I, you know, losing out on other values because of, because of eating? Is it, is it sort of becoming that it is the most important thing in my life and that's making me unhappy at the end of the day? That's just something to be really, really aware of if you're, if you do think you could be going down that route because orthorexia is tricky. It's a tricky eating disorder because it is condoned. I mean, our culture and these bloggers, I think really promote orthorexia in some sense without realizing it with these super restrictive diets and elimination diets, gut health and all this stuff. It's so easy to get sucked into it and not realizing that you have you know, that it's a problem because it looks like everybody else is doing it. Yeah, yeah, totally. And um, oh, I lost my thought there. I was going to say something, but I think it's it's sometimes it's hard to even understand how much stress it's adding to your life because layered on top of that, there's always this, there's always this layer of hope of, okay, but if I just try harder, it'll get better. Or if I just do this, then everything will click into place and it'll be fine. And so it's almost hard to see yourself going down the rabbit hole. At least that was my experience. You know, like I really thought I was super healthy and I didn't realize that what I was doing was actually creating so much stress on my body, both psychologically and physically. Like it's, it's sometimes really hard to see the forest through the trees. Yeah, I definitely, I mean, I definitely agree with that. And I think it takes, it really does take finding a way to get that insight somewhere that it is taking from your life. And it's hard to do, I think on, it's just hard for us to do on our own. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it's helpful to have people point it out and just obviously therapists and, and dietitians and people who can sort of help you unpack what's actually going on and where it really is taking from your life and your freedom because it is so, again, it's just so enticing to think, well, things might not be going well, but that's just because I'm not doing it well enough. And I, if I do it better or if I try this next thing, I know it's all going to snap into place eventually. Yeah. So it is, it's hard to, to see, I think, for yourself until something I mean, in, until it gets, I guess, extreme and then it and it becomes just something you have to sort of confront. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, for the record, can I just say the keto diet is the worst? Yes. <laughs> I don't think I've ever said yes. it on the podcast, but I just like need to say it's that to people. <laughs> I totally agree. Whenever I come out against, I put a post on Instagram and it, I got so many hate, like, messages from it was like a joking post about bulletproof coffee saying like pass I'll be drinking my light and sweet until that fat recedes <laughs> and, and the ketosis the ketosis crowd was so livid oh my gosh people got so mad at me and like 
sent me like death threats and things like that. So it's uh, definitely the worst, but I think it, it garners maybe a lot of, um, oh, it's just people get passionate about it for some reason, mm-hmm. but it's awful. It's awful. Yeah. Low carb, low carb. I mean, I, I wasn't calling it keto at the time, but like low carb dieting was really the one, like the, the straw that broke the camel's back for me. Like that was what really like... <laughs> really messed my body up and messed my metabolism up for a while. And I see that with clients. It's like one of the harder, it's one of the harder ones to recover, to recover from, like to, to come back to like a a normal relationship with food, um, that compared to other, other ways of eating that people have, have done in the past, like, like something, you know, like Weight Watchers or even paleo, I find it's like easier for people to, you know, make friends with carbohydrates again. But once you've had that kind of keto, experience and mindset, it's like, it just instills this massive fear of, of carbohydrates, which are so essential and needed. And I think especially for women, I don't know, like if you have thoughts on that. In terms of carbohydrates being needed, yeah. especially for women. Yeah. Especially for women. Yeah. I mean, I just know in general, we humans, we need them, but they're just, they're so important. And I think there's so much like, unfortunately, there's so much fear mongering around carbohydrates and sugar these days that I think if you are, you know, you do one of those diets and then you try to give it up, you're also swimming upstream in our culture. So it just feels like very counterintuitive, but they are essential. And they're, you know, I, I think there's research on that. That is what, and I don't know if this is woman specific, but that's what we we crave when we're craving comfort, you know, Mm. when we need comfort and we're seeking food to sort of soothe ourselves, which is fine. We we're humans are just like sort of drawn towards carbohydrates for comfort. Yeah. And so we're we're telling ourselves you can't have them at all. And that's the food that's going to sell, that's going to help you self soothe at the end of the day, but it's completely off limits. I mean, it's just, it's obvious that that's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, pretty much across the board, people who eat carbohydrates are, feel so much better in my opinion. <laughs> like when people come back to that, to adding that stuff back in their life, they're like, oh, and I feel so much better now. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're feeding yourself. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Who else has tried Fab Fit Fun? You're going to want to check it out because you know I'm all about treating yourself. If you don't already know about it, Fab Fit Fun is a seasonal box with full-size beauty, fitness, and lifestyle products. Their spring editor's box is amazing. It includes awesome products like a free people eye mask, beauty and skincare products such as a Tarte Double Duty Leave Your Mark eyeshadow palette and a Rachel Pally clutch. And that's just the beginning of it. Don't miss out because they sell out fast. Check out www.fabfitfun.com and use the code REBEL, R-E-B-E-L-L-E, so you can save $10 off your first box, making it only $39.99. Again, that's fabfitfun.com and use the code REBEL, R-E-B-E-L-L-E. You deserve to treat yourself. So, um, okay, so if, if this is resonating with people listening, you know, what... What are some things that people can do to stop their obsession with wellness, uh, aka like quit quit that diet mentality? I definitely think that starting to notice how all of it is making you feel psychologically is really really important. So if you're not, if people aren't ready to give up, you know the the 
wellness, the dieting and the, the workouts at least start to notice how it's making you feel like notice how you feel when you, um, don't work out or something for one day or notice how you feel when you do have sugar at an event and and notice the type of guilt that can, that can be there and just sort of start to call that out for yourself to call that out. Like this is really, you know, this is happening and is it really worth it at the end of the day to keep doing these things? Like asking yourself that sort of over and over, because I don't think it's something that happens. Like I, I just rarely hear of it all of a sudden people saying, Oh, and then I realized I had like the light bulb moment that it was just ruining my life. And now I think people have to sort of call it out over and over for themselves and start also just on online, maybe on the social media world, start looking into other ways of like the people who are promoting intuitive eating and the people who are promoting movement for joy and fat acceptance and things like that. Just exposing yourself little by little to that type of rhetoric, I think can be really important because it's sort of an argument for the other side, like life on the other side. And I think it can be really uh, persuasive if you sort of immerse yourself in that world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I find that it takes people like a little bit of time to really come to the decision of, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. Or, you know, I'm really going to work on trying to, listen to my body and and break free of that diet mentality. It's, you know, it doesn't have that allure like dieting does that makes people want to like go and dive headfirst into it. It takes a bit of, it takes a bit of time and just like your mind kind of has to process it. I think at least that's sort of what I've noticed when I've talked to people about how they got into it. Yeah, because you're right. It's not this other things are wellness culture is really promising, like a kind of a quick fix, Mm -hmm. like immediate gratification. And this is if I mean, if we're being honest, this is like, you know, it's swimming upstream, but it is the the, it's the key to long term peace. So it's going to take a while to see the benefit. And but it is if you're looking for long term peace, not fleeting moments of feeling calm because you avoided sugar in that moment, um, then then moving away from that and more towards intuitive eating and moving for joy is for you. But it's, yeah, it's just not as enticing as the, like, here's this, you know, really structured diet regimen that's going to solve every ailment you have. It's probably, it's going to make you live a really long time. Um, it's, it's just not as enticing as those promises. And giving up control is so hard. So, you know, we talked about this need to have, control, not desire for control. And I think what people really struggle with when they start to make this transition is, is giving up that control. What do you recommend? What advice do you have for people who are really struggling with that control freak voice that's saying, no, 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 you should be doing this. You shouldn't be doing that. Like creating a bunch of fear around it. Well, I definitely think if you are struggling with that and you're not seeing, you're not already seeing a therapist, I think seeing a therapist can be really helpful because it's just somebody to, it's another mind in the room to kind of help you point out what you can't see for yourself, which is that, you know, you think what you think you're controlling with all of this is actually controlling you. And, um, it's, it's making you miserable at the end of the day. It's for whatever reason, like we were talking about, it can just be tough to see that, to see the forest through the trees. So having someone there to help point that out, and give recommendations for defying the voice because I think another thing that is going to have to happen if you're really caught up in the, with the control freak voice or an eating disorder voice or an inner critic that's really loud is you're going to have to defy it and not 
do what you normally do to quiet the voice, which is seek those fleeting moments of control. And I think having somebody who can provide recommendations that are really tailored to you in terms of how to defy it and where to start is super, super helpful Mm -hmm. if it's accessible. That is obviously there's financial restrictions in terms of therapy. And then also if we're talking about food, if we're talking about food, learning how to let go of the control there, I think an anti-diet dietitian is really, really important because it's just, it's really helpful to have, or at least I found back in the day, it was helpful to have somebody who I felt like, okay, they have training and they have a degree, like they know what they're talking about. So let them fight this, you know, eating disorder voice or this really loud critic that I have in my head. Like I will sort of let them fight for me in the moment because, you know, I, I can't just give my I can't just trust myself to do this, but I, I think I can trust somebody with all the the degrees. Yeah. And so that was, I don't know, that was just very, very helpful for me personally. So I would recommend that as well. Well, it's hard to do it on your own, especially in a culture where everyone else is doing the opposite. Right. Yeah, it's definitely. And I also, I mean, there is the component that when you see the anti-diet dietitians, you'll, you know, hopefully work with someone who's health at every size informed and will tell you to kind of reject the wellness culture hoopla. So what's, I think that brings along a component, another struggle, which is you'll, you'll be in their office and, and learning about all this stuff and then leave and everyone around you and all like the billboards and just articles and commercials will be saying the exact opposite of what they just said. So it's like, do I trust this person or like, is this person lying to me? Is this person just, you know, not, not wanting my best interest? Why are they telling me like chocolate's okay? Right. When everyone else says it's not okay. So that's another hurdle to kind of to work through. But I think if you're really honest with, if you do have the team, if you're honest with your dietitian about that experience and your therapist, you know, your team can also help you get through that as well. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a lot of people out there spewing the anti-diet message or using that that rhetoric or, you know, the language, but that aren't, that are still part right. of the wellness culture, which I think is something for people to really watch out for too. And just, you know, use your spidey senses there. Yes, that makes me so angry. I can't like people just sort of co-opting the the anti-diet movement. I've seen people going back to ketosis because we both agree it's the worst. (laughs) I've seen seen people that are ketosis coaches or whatever say like on their websites, aren't you tired of the diet merry-go-round? Like, isn't it time to get off and just listen to your body and yourself? And it's like, oh my God, you're so caught. You're just stealing this message and you're twisting it and you're making it so, I mean, that's like really sneaky. That, right, yeah. that makes me so angry. So yeah, me definitely too. use your spidey. Yeah, yeah, no, there's there's a lot of that because I'll get people who want to come on the podcast and they'll be like, I love your message. And I'm like all about ditching diets. And then, you know, I go to their website and it's like, not at all. <laughs> I'm like, no, this is not where there's there's a gap here in terms of yeah. in terms of what it really means to not be about dieting. Right. Yeah, it's so it's so sneaky. It gets in there everywhere. And even the brands that are using like along the same lines, body positivity, the brands that are sort of using body positivity, but just it's just sneaky diet culture and Mm -hmm. sneaky like weight loss, you know, tools that they're trying to sell. Or even if they're not, just people who are like, I said maybe it's there's some cereal that definitely 
he uses like women loving themselves and we eat food and it, we eat like real food or whatever. And it's, but the whole, I mean, the gist of it is weight loss at the end of the day is how we love ourselves, like weight loss and, and controlling food really closely. That is how we love ourselves. That's how we show our body love. And it's so sneaky. Mm-hmm. It's just Ah, it makes me so mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. I mean, that's the problem with popular. At least it means that what we're doing is is starting to become like there's hints of it that are a little more mainstream if if brands True. are starting to pick up on it. <laughs> but it, it's just bad the way they go about it. <laughs> yeah, that's the silver lining. Where at least the voices are starting to be heard. There's like little, yeah, it's getting out there, which is good. Yeah. Um, so you wrote a piece called Strong is really is the new skinny and talked about all of the issues with this. So can you talk a little bit why about why why you feel that way and why that's problematic? Yeah, I think that um that piece stemmed from just realizing that um it's not I don't know if it's the word is cool or a trend it's not trendy to say that you wanna be super thin anymore or that you wanna lose weight. Like the trend is what's really acceptable is well I just wanna be fit. You know, you hear a lot, I don't care about weight loss, I just want to be toned. So it's kind of that idea, strong is the new skinny is something that you see a lot and also healthy is the new skinny. And it's it's definitely it seems positive on the outside, but when you really start to unpack it, it's just again, it's cloaked diet culture. It's still the message that uh you have your body's not okay the way it is. You have to really funnel all your energy into controlling it. Um, into um, changing it and manipulating it. It's your masterpiece, right? It's the thing that needs to be focused on. It's still that message. It's just in the cloaked form. And it's, again, it's that sneaky element that I think makes it even more damaging because it's harder to call out. Like if somebody, you know, in the 90s or whatever was promoting a you know, lose X amount of pounds in three days or whatever. It's kind of, I would hope that most of us would be like, well, that doesn't seem, that's obviously unhealthy. I mean, that's just sort of a a tactic, a marketing tactic. But with the whole fitness culture, I think it's harder to call out as, you know, clearly unhealthy and eating disordered in some sense. I just, I just think it's harder to call out because it's harder to say to somebody when they say, I just want to be fit. I don't care about weight. It's harder to say. What I always want to say is, really? Like, is that really what you mean? Or do you want to be, now is it that you need to be thin and, you know, super toned? So now is it just double the pressure? Is that what's happened? Yeah, it's just, it's damaging. Well, I take real issue with the word fit too, when people use it as a descriptor, because being fit has nothing, like, it's, it's not an aesthetic. It's not a look, like being, right. you know, I actually just don't even, I kind of have, I don't love that word. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. You know, I'd rather I'd rather be like, you know, if somebody's athletic because they actually engage in athletic activities if they can, you know, obviously, you know, that if if you don't have, you know, there's certain conditions that would prevent someone from being able to do that. But um, yeah. yeah, I just I take issue with that. Like, oh, that person looks so fit or I just want to be fit because like you said, it's just it's essentially just being like saying, oh, that person's thin or that person has low body fat or I want to have low, lower body fat. Yeah, you're right. It really is like if we stop to break down this term, what are we actually saying here? And we're it's really just all about the outside is what we mean by fit. It's just a totally appearance-based. It's not, you know, it's not real. The, the people that um, we're seeing going back to social media, the 
inspiration or whatever those accounts. There's just it's not real what's happening and the outside is not it's dangerous to just start assuming that a person's outside is an accurate reflection of their health or their you know current emotional state mm-hmm. or their psyche it's just it's a dangerous assumption to make and it's absolutely not true and there are a lot of people who have come out from the fitspiration the quote fitspiration crowd and have you know come out talking about how it was you know, obsessional and it really stole a lot from their lives. It was very, very disordered and people moving towards the more intuitive eating and moving for joy, kind of talking about, well, that fit, you know, when I wasn't doing this, it was awful, but people would, people would act like I was in the prime of my life or whatever. My health was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you wrote the real problem with fitness culture is that we do not recognize the extremes of fitness as easily as we do extremes in weight loss which I think is kind of what you're talking about here. Yeah, and I think uh, something that I, I noticed with that is it seems like for males in terms of fitness culture and getting really extreme with like, there, it, there's just a big thing with weightlifting or whatever now and, you know, getting protein, excessive amounts of protein. Yes. And, yeah, and when I was working on the inpatient eating, just one of the inpatient units, I remember there were people, they were – people who were bodybuilders who had um, kidney failure because of excessive protein intake. I think that's in that article, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's kidney failure. And then there's just, um, it's, but it's harder to, for whatever reason, it's harder for us to recognize that that is incredibly unhealthy. That can, that can kill you, you know, what they're doing. I think with, with weight loss, I, I guess we've just been educated more or, there's just more awareness because of uh, the you know people understanding maybe eating disorders a little bit more that extreme extreme weight loss is unhealthy mm-hmm. and you'll have people call that out but in terms of fitness being unhealthy I, I just think it's really hard to do for most of yeah. So my husband, like sometimes he'll show me suggested posts on his Instagram feed and there are from people like just doing the most like these guys doing the most extreme forms of eating, which I'm not even going to just say what it is sometimes because I can't even believe it. But I feel like because it's men, like it's more normalized, like it's not as called like people aren't like, oh, that's disordered because it's coming from a man. And, you know, most people associate, you know, eating disorders with with women and obviously like, you know, thin white women. And there's, that's a whole issue in and of itself as well. But I feel like that's, it's, it's probably even harder to spot because these behaviors are like really normalized um, in, in, in that kind of bodybuilding or weightlifting um, male culture. Yeah, I definitely think that that's, I agree with that completely. And I don't think the eating disorder community, the professionals and researchers. And I don't think we've expanded yet in terms of our understanding or our our knowledge and um, just communicating that eating disorders, that this is an eating disorder behavior, you know, this bodybuilding and all, all these dieting things that guys are being asked to do and this whole high muscle, low 
fat ratio thing that's really big right now. It's, you know, just as disordered as anything else. We just haven't, we haven't started, I don't know, recognizing and getting the word out yet for whatever reason. Maybe it's hard for us. To, maybe we're not spotting it too. Yeah. And I think that that kind of also goes back to, I think it's still hard. People still have a stigma of males having eating disorders like anorexia or something like that. It's still, there still seems to be some surprise when that's talked about or when a male does have more traditional eating disorder, I guess. And that, that's, I think, a real shame. And again, that's on us. I think that's on the professionals and the researchers. We need to start being more proactive in helping this community and helping all the people we've marginalized by just focusing on thin, white, young females. Um, we need to start getting the word out and um, being way more proactive in helping those communities, including men. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's such an issue, isn't it? Because I'm sure you see that all the time with people who are in larger bodies, uh, you know, different races and things like that. And and it, it it's especially I feel like especially those in larger bodies, like it's it people don't think that there's an eating disorder there just because of the appearance. Yeah. And that's um, very dangerous as well, because somebody can have, you know, a super restrictive eating disorder and be doing the same, you know, dangerous things that somebody in a lower weight body is doing with, say, anorexia. And it's, uh, you'll even have doctors condoning it um, and professionals like missing it, you know, not really seeing it because for what, I mean, eating disorders are the only illness where we we focus on physical appearance for as part of the symptomology. Yeah. And it's just, it's really, it doesn't make sense at the end of the day. And, um, you know, I've heard people, we, we've kind of talk about atypical anorexia, which is somebody maybe in a higher weight body that's has anorexia. And I'm starting to think that atypical anorexia is really the people that we've, you know, that have really, really low weight bodies that we see in like the movies and stuff because they're just the people that have gotten the attention. They're the people that we focus on. I think typical, it's probably, it's probably the case that quote typical anorexia is, are the people in, you know, average weight or higher weight bodies and we're just missing them. So we're calling them atypical when we finally sort of figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Such a problem. Yes. And I went, I went on a rant this weekend when I was presenting about this. I went on a rant about how we complain. I think professionals will talk about, you know, the media and the media coverage of eating disorders is only focused on thin women, right? And it's so true. But I think the media takes its notes from us. At the end of the day, we're the people who are sort of leading the troops, like professionals and researchers and activists. We're the people who lead the troops in helping society understand what, you know, who gets an eating disorder and what it really is. So I think, again, it's on us. We have to be more proactive to take more responsibility and we have to start changing the way we think and write and help people with eating disorders. Mm -hmm. And also, yeah, I mean, obviously like the, from a, um, like a, an institutional level, like, you know, the health community, it, it definitely has to come from there, but also individuals just knowing that, you don't have to look a certain way to have a problem like that's, yeah. you know, because I think I think as individuals, we feel that way, too. We feel like, well, I probably don't, you know, there's I probably I don't have a problem because I'm not, you know, thin enough or whatever. So I think that, you know, knowing that it really is about the behaviors and not about looking a certain way, you can hopefully advocate for yourself uh, as well and then find someone, you know, like you who 
is going to actually offer help to, to somebody and not judge them or diagnose them based on their size. Right. Yeah. Truly understanding for each of us that um, the person with the really low weight eating disorder is the exception, not the rule. And that um, they really, it's just in terms of weight, it's so little of it. I mean, it's just such a small symptom. There's so many other symptoms and it really is, uh, hey, is this impacting my quality of life? That that's it, you know, that's mm-hmm. like really the, the main thing that we should be thinking about that people should think of for themselves because the the whole, you know, I'm not sick enough or I'm not there yet or I don't have a problem because I don't look like I have one is just, um, it's just dangerous. So yeah. dangerous. Well, I could talk to you about so many more things, but we're wrapping it up here. So where can people find more of you? They can find me on my website, which is ColleenReichman.com. And um, my my Facebook, which is also Colleen Reichman, my Facebook page, and then my Instagram account, account which is at Dr. Colleen Reichman. Great. I post a, lot, post a lot of ranty anti-diet quotes on there. So I noticed looking- that. Yes, <laughs> I noticed that. I was like, oh, these are great. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really enjoyed chatting with you and, and everything that you're up to and all the work that you're doing. Um, you're doing some amazing work in this world. Uh, th- yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is great. Yeah, rock on. So much good stuff in that episode. You can find all the links and resources mentioned at summerinandin.com forward slash one, two, three. Colleen is amazing. I highly suggest following her and especially on Instagram. She posts really great stuff. So you can find a link to that in the show notes and I will talk to you next time. Rock on. I'm Summer Inanin, and I want to thank you for listening today. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Summer Inanin. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this show. I would be so grateful. Until next time, rock on. Rock on.